Welcome to Adventures in Evaluation Podcast with James Coyle and Kylie Hutchinson. So welcome everybody to Adventures in Evaluation Podcast. My name is James Coyle. I'm an internal program evaluator with a large regional health authority. And I'm Kylie Hutchinson. I'm an independent evaluation consultant. And uh, here we are. And yeah. what, are we, what are we talking about today, James? Well... I, I think I said a few podcasts ago we should stop counting, but there was a bit of inspiration. This is our seventh podcast, and I thought uh, it made sense for us uh, to do a topic that we were interested in, the seven deadly sins of evaluation. Oh, I love it. Perfect. All right. Yeah. Yeah, bring it on. Although I have a challenge for you, James. My challenge is, is I want to see if you can go through this entire episode without mentioning Michael Quinn <laughs> I knew it was a matter of time. <laughs> but fortunately, there is, uh, there is no uh, deadly sin that I can relate to that person which you named, which I shall not name. Okay. <laughs> he, he who cannot be named. <laughs> yes, that's right. Yeah. Okay. So the evaluator got... formerly known as <laughs> related and... to that excellent artist called Prince. Yeah, that's correct. <laughs> so, okay, we, so we've got seven deadly sins. And uh, all right, well, do you want to? I guess we'll just go through them one by one and want to yeah. start off. For our listeners, the way we kind of frame this, you'll see these kind of uh, seven deadly sins of, you know, I don't know, making a cake or uh, building your British sports car or whatever. We actually decided to stick to the, uh, uh, for better or worse, the sort of uh, biblical sort of twist on the seven deadly sins. So we did a little bit of research. We watched some, uh, you know, very uh, scary and shocking movies like uh, the movie Seven. Oh, my God. That uh, movie was awful. I, well, I, see, I liked the movie, but I can't say I enjoyed the experience, particularly at the end. If anybody uh, who hasn't seen it, we certainly are not going to reveal what happened. Uh, but boy, it was a, it was pretty dark and depressing. I, I just thought that maybe was an and tangent alert, but uh, I just thought it was gratuitous violence. I really did. It mm. was like, how can we just you know play with people's minds? Anyways, we are not going to get that graphic, are we? No, we're definitely not going to play with people's minds in that kind of way. No. Okay. Okay. So. All right. Uh, yeah, so we're going to go through the seven deadly sins. Uh, for those of you familiar with your uh, biblical sort of passages. Uh, actually, I have no idea. Uh, would find these. I've really found them on Wikipedia. And I've kind of forgotten my Catholic upbringing exactly when I was introduced to these. So I just want to add the disclaimer: I am no biblical expert. Those of you who know me will know this already. So we're going to talk about wrath. We're going to talk okay. about greed, uh, yeah. sloth, which I love because there's an animal that is a sloth. Uh, pride, lust, envy, and gluttony. Good. So, okay. uh, we'll start with uh, wrath, and uh, I guess uh, uh, let's talk a bit about the deadly sin of wrath and evaluation. What What's an example of, of the deadly sin of wrath and evaluation, Kylie? So, well, when, the example that I had is when you get pissed off with a program that doesn't implement your recommendations or management ignores your report. And so that is, um, you know, an occasion for wrath. And we're obviously trying to address that, but uh, that that can really bring the wrath on big time, I would think. Yeah. yeah. And it's, I mean, it's one of our competencies is to not lose our cool in certain situations. I can think of one uh, where a fellow evaluator and I really had to uh, keep each other sort of calm and steady when um, we had uh, a very arrogant focus group participant. Uh, oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> 
yeah. makes me it makes me think of that movie Barton Fink. Did, did you see that movie? Oh, anything by Coen Brothers. Okay. Uh, I okay. <laughs> so sometimes you know when you're in that focus group when you've got the participant that just won't shut up, right? Yeah. And um, don't we call him Talkative Tom? <laughs> talkative Tom, and I just makes me think of that scene in Barton Fink where John no John John Tartufo Tarturo says. John Turturro says, actor. you just don't listen. Anyways, so. That was a good John Turturro. Thank you very much. Thank I'm you sure very much. being a listener of our podcast, he will appreciate that. Yeah, yeah. And that, uh, so yes, two good examples of wrath. Okay. So our next one is greed. And uh, yeah, have you got an example of greed there, James? Well, when I think of greed, in particular uh, in the evaluation world so far, I guess one of the things I worry about a little bit is um, when I see people monopolize a spotlight, particularly when it seems pretty self-serving and they're greedy about uh, you know how much they accomplished in the evaluation, what the great findings were and all the hard work they did, and they don't really share uh in the acknowledgement of others' contributions to the evaluation process. Oh, yeah. And also kind of going back and acknowledging all the stakeholders that provided data and the people that provided access to that information and things like that. Yeah, sure. So uh, another little one, and I'm a little uh, hands tied behind my back, uh, again, from, from the top of the show here. But I think it's a little greedy when some people hog all the time talking to famous evaluators when there's a long lineup at a conference. Including he who cannot be named. Including he who cannot be named. Yeah, okay. (laughs) I may myself be guilty. Yeah, yeah. Um, And then we have another example of keeping uh, the findings close to one's chest Mm -hmm. um, and not sharing them with other key stakeholders to get their reaction prior to publishing the report. Um, which, you know, yeah, that, that's greedy because we all know that if you can kind of show those interim findings or those, those rough results, you're going to have much better and more feasible recommendations. So you want to move on to sloth? Yeah, a sloth. Okay. So a couple of examples of being slothful as an evaluator. So ones that come to mind are being too lazy to bother having meaningful consultations with stakeholders. Um, I, I, I've definitely, uh, I don't think, I don't think it's my nature to be lazy like that. Um, but I definitely know sometimes you're just so tired, you've got a deadline and there's that part of your brain that's fortunately saying, listen, you got to get up out of your chair. You got to go see a person in person or have that uh, telephone conversation with a stakeholder that you maybe forgot to connect with before. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Or, um, I can think in my situation, kind of not doing all that homework up front, doing those consultations around the design of the evaluation. And, you know, it's obviously really a lot easier to sit down and crank out a logic model and an evaluation framework on your own as an evaluator, but it is not going to be nearly as effective or realistic or feasible Mm -hmm. if you don't have those consultations with people at the beginning. Yeah, Another example of sloth that uh, you see reported about and talked about um, actually cleaning data or verifying the accuracy of the data that you're provided from a program when you're, you know, you're looking at the uh, monitoring and measurement side of things. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of cases where people just say, Meh, don't have the time, don't know how, don't care, or I'll just trust the data. Mm-hmm. And I feel it's really important uh, to make sure that 
if my name is on uh, an evaluation process and report, that I've done some work uh, as much as I can to make sure that it's accurate and, and verify it. Maybe that's easier as an internal evaluator. What do you, what do you think? I think it's just as important uh, for the external evaluator because as you were talking, it makes me think that, you know, most of my work as an independent consultant, it comes from word of mouth, right? So the pressure on you for every single evaluation that you do, it's got to be top notch because if it doesn't, then the word gets out there, right? And that really really puts the the pressure on you, right? Yeah, I think as an internal evaluator, because I've also worked in performance and and, and monitoring, I kind of know where some of the data and the databases are. It's taken me years in the organization I work with, but one of the first things I do with any program is figure out, so if we're not generating data, you know, from surveys, focus groups, and those kinds of things, if we're pulling it out of a database, I really need to spend some time to understand uh, how that's actually being generated in the first place. Yeah, yeah. Any other examples of sloth? Well, the obvious one is also that um, this follow-up after a final report to actually monitor and facilitate the utilization. So mm. nowadays, you know, with all the attention on effective reporting, we know that it's a little bit slothful to just write a final report and not put any other thought or attention towards effective communication, effective reporting. Sloth is kind of delivering the final report and then throwing in your invoice and, and disappearing, right, without doing that work, that follow-up work afterwards. Yeah. So uh, I guess uh, that leaves us with uh, three, no, four more. Oh, geez, we're, we're, we're just getting into the heart of things here. Pride. Okay. Pride. <laughs> okay, so the example I had for pride was being too prideful of a beautifully formatted report with no attention to the utilization of results. So a little bit like sloth, but you know, you can see some gorgeous, gorgeous reports out there nowadays with beautiful covers and pictures and, and stuff like that. But uh, that's only half of it, right? So mm-hmm. don't get don't, don't get too sucked into your pride factor. Well, I do think that's a, yeah, it's definitely, I could see where you, I had the same issue with trying to distinguish these different sins. I, I think you could spend a lot of energy and not be slothful and invest in creating this report and tweaking the colors and the logo and organizing and missing the whole point around utilization. Mm-hmm. So I think that's a good one. Um, for me, one of the ones I've struggled a little bit with, and there's been some really healthy discussions on eval talk about this. In particular, I love some of uh, Scriven's comments on this whenever it comes up. And that's that uh, the whole issue around academic degrees uh, having or not having a PhD, for example, and does that make you an evaluator? And, uh, you know, I, I don't have a PhD. I, I turned away from that path so far. You know, if I do want to go get that, it'll be out of, uh, you know, sort of the interest, I suppose. But I really don't think having a PhD uh, makes you a better person in this in, in this world, in this planet. And it doesn't necessarily mean that uh, you should be treated with uh, greater respect and that your findings should be taken more seriously. Yeah, I I agree with that too, and it makes me think that when I first when I first started out, it makes me think about the soft skills that are are really needed for an evaluator. So when I first started out on my own as a consultant, one of the first things I did was I bought um, my own SPSS software. And uh, ten years later, I was cleaning out my desk and I realized, oh my gosh, I haven't even cracked the seal on the package because most of the evaluation work that I do is with community-based organizations. And what was more important for me was to really get up to speed on my group 
group facilitation skills, my consensus building skills, um, training, uh, those kind of things. And, mm-hmm. and, and in, in the context of with which I do evaluation, those were way more important than anything that a PhD was going to give me. Now, you know, there's a lot of great people. I'm thinking about the folks at Claremont and stuff like that who do a lot of research on evaluation as a field and, and they can't, they crank out some, some great stuff, but, um, it's definitely not, um, yeah, it's not definitely not a prerequisite uh, to being a really good evaluator, is it? No, and, and at the same time, I think I've had to make sure that doesn't come across as a chip on my shoulder. How they translate that into their work is what I'm much, much more interested in. Yeah, 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 good point. So shall we move on to, to lust? Lust, okay. So what are we going to do with this one? <laughs> So here's right. This here's is the X-rated the part of the podcast. Well, and and I think this one was yours, wasn't it, James? So why oh, don't geez, you... thanks for throwing the X-rated yeah. deck on me. <laughs> for lust, I guess trying to be a bit playful. You know, what came to mind for me was the need for us as as professionals is to avoid getting in bed, you know, literally or figuratively <laughs> with program staff and not advocating uh, for their program, and uh, that we have to remain at arm's length. I think this is a little bit challenging for those of us who are involved in any developmental evaluation examples. We talked about that in our DE podcast. But I guess from falling in love with a program, and I certainly know I can think of one or two that I was knocked off my my, my feet by how innovative they were, how creative they were, how uh, uh, determined to make a difference in, in the lives of the patients, that I really had to make sure that I... I, I took a step back from time to time, and while I could appreciate what they were doing, that my job was to remain uh, as an evaluator, and while I couldn't be completely unbiased, that I had to make sure uh, that I was uh, balancing uh, my work as much as possible. What, what do you think about the whole area of lust? Well, I was just kind of thinking what you were saying for an internal evaluator, would, aren't these people sometimes that you're seeing every day in the lunchroom and they are. Uh, you know going to the office Christmas party and things like that. So, yeah. 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 I've had to actually make a conscious effort to uh, in some cases not 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 you know completely turn down someone's offer to socialize outside of our work hours, but I I've, I've probably uh nipped some prospective friendships in the bud until we were done uh an evaluative process. And in other cases where there's not necessarily conflict of interest, but where I am uh, friends with someone, I'll actually see if there's another evaluator we can assign to the work just to make sure that uh, not only are we not advocating or getting too cozy with the program, but that there's no appearance of that either. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, this this is a challenge for me, too, as an external evaluator, because, you know, on the one hand, I come into an organization and I'm trying to reduce everyone's fears about evaluation and I'm all friendly and let's do this together and participatory and stuff. And so, you know, you create these relationships that are necessary to help the evaluation move forward and build ownership and stuff and things like that. And then I also like to take the step that when we have the initial findings to sit down with everybody and have a results briefing or a a data party, as some people call it. Um, But uh, so I'm kind of creating this like, yeah, I'm your friend. I'm here. We're doing this together. Everything's all tickety-doo. But at some point, I also have to pull myself back and say, 
I know you'd like me to include that recommendation, but I just can't. And, yeah. you know, and, and, you know, it's something that you can manage, but there is always that risk, right? Of, mm-hmm. of yeah, getting into bed with these people. So, mm-hmm. okay. And? Envy. Envy, yes. So well. for, for Envy, um, I guess the main one that came to my mind was when people fail to cite other work appropriately or claiming something as their own um, because they're so drawn to it and they want it, they want to claim it as their idea. I haven't had a lot of experience with that uh, and seen a lot of colleagues do that, but I know it comes up from time to time and that truly would be a pretty big sin. I think. Have you ever seen that? Uh, no, no, I haven't. But, you know, I think we all had that drilled into us at school right? Mm-hmm. About, about the danger of, of copying stuff. Um, there's certainly some things that I wished I'd thought of. So, for example, um, here's a shout out to Philip Cox, who works at Plan.net um, and his splash and ripple model, which is a, just a brilliant analogy for doing a logic model. And I, I use mm-hmm. it a lot. And I, and I, you know, oh. I'm so envious of that. I wished I'd thought of that. Um, but, you know, as a result, I always make a point of crediting him every time I use it in a workshop or, or whatever. So it's certainly there, but, uh, you know. Way to fight that work. sin, Kylie. That's way to, right. Way to combat that sin. <laughs> That's right. Otherwise, I'd have to go to – so the evaluation confessional, what does that look like? Where do we do that? Oh, I don't know. <laughs> I I'm sure my that. mom will tell me what that sounds like. <laughs> Yeah. Forgive me, James. I envied another evaluation and another evaluator's theory. That's right. Yeah. So go home and do 50 logic models. Yeah. Do you want to wrap her up with gluttony? Coming up to the last one, gluttony. And so gluttony, we thought it would be collecting way more data than you need and never using it. And um, this is primarily a sin because it's a shameful and wasted use of limited evaluation resources. And it can also turn people off evaluation and uh, it can just place too much of a burden on staff in terms of having to collect that data. And yeah, I think it also can kind of give evaluation a, a, a bad name. Totally. So sometimes I think, sometimes I come into organizations and say, oh, we could collect this and this and this. And they kind of look at me with their jaws down on the ground going, no, I don't think so, Kylie. Have you ever collected or seen piles of surveys where no one ever actually entered the data or did any analysis? For me, it breaks my heart when I do. You know where I tend to see that is 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 not I, – I don't see evaluators doing that. I see organizations doing it themselves because they think they have to, right? Yeah. And, um, you know, I remember doing this study looking at HIV organizations around British Columbia and finding out um, how they feel about doing outcome evaluation, why they're not doing more outcome evaluation. And what they kept telling me was, we collect all this data, but it doesn't go anywhere. And then in, in some of the key informant interviews I did with some of their funders, the funders said, they collect all this data and they send it to me. <laughs> I, don't, I don't need it. And uh, so I think some real streamlining could just help everybody. So that's our seven deadly sins. Yeah, they are. So More examples of the different seven deadly sins. Yeah, yeah. If you or any listeners out there have examples of uh, your favorite sins or favorite sins you like to chide others for sinning about, Please feel free to uh, drop us an email at adventuresandevaluationpodcast at gmail.com or visit our podcast site, adventuresandevaluation.podbean.com. 
it'd be great if we could see people leaving us some comments on that site. So direct comments after, after you listen to this, guys, if you've got any that you want to add, then then just scroll down on the page and you can see the comment box there. And uh, yeah, we, we enjoy reading them. So we'd love to, to see some more from you. If anybody else uh, who hasn't already subscribed to us on iTunes, and that makes your life a lot easier, uh, you can go through iTunes and just type in Adventures in Evaluation, or you can type Kylie Hutchinson's name or my name, and uh, that podcast will pop up on your screen and you can subscribe to it. So it'll be automatically downloaded to your favorite media device. Yeah, and so then when you're walking to pick your kid up from school or driving in your car or whatever, you can just have a little listen. and uh... Or on your way to church and reflecting on spinning. <laughs> ah, exactly. Listen to this podcast. That's right. Well, James, have a very clean and, and non-sinful, sin-free, <laughs> <laughs> sin-free week. My mom will, uh, will endorse that also. I will try you as well. All right. All Take right. care, Kylie. Bye. Bye.